Let's pray. Holy Spirit's been here. Let's ensure that we invite him to stay here. Let's bow our heads. Oh God, how exciting this subject is that we are about to look at. And as we open your word, the Bible, we want to invite you to be in this church. And I pray, God, that as we present this truth, that through your Holy Spirit, who is already in the church, that you will touch hearts, that you will move minds, and that people will make a decision, God, to follow you all the way to the end of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's subject's called the reaping. We're talking about reaping this morning. We're talking about a harvest. We're talking about a harvest like a reaping the world has never seen. In fact, this reaping, this harvest will happen at the end of the world. It will be Jesus who will come, who will be the harvester. He will be the reaper and you are the crop. And you will choose, you will choose today. You will choose in your life, day by day, whether or not when Jesus comes you are ready to be harvested. And today is indeed a very sobering, a very serious topic, and it's one that should drive straight to your heart, because this topic, most topics in the Bible, this one demands a decision. Whether or not you'll be ready for the harvest, whether or not you'll be ready for the end of the world, whether or not you'll be ready when Jesus comes. Now when you study this subject, and many people do, Two questions come to mind. Number one, when will the world end? And it's a good question. And number two, how will the world end? And you've just got to look in the Christian church today and there are a myriad of different ideas of when the world will end and how the world will end. Well, I want to make you a promise this morning. We are not going to guess we are not going to, to, to imagine what's going to happen at the end of the world. We're going to go to the Bible and we're going to see what the Bible says, firstly, about when the world will end and secondly, about how it will end. There have always been people who have predicted the end of the world. Did you know that in the last 2,000 years, there have been not hundreds, but thousands of predictions by people, mostly Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, on when the world will end? And I thought I'd share a few of these predictions with you this morning because I found them interesting, and I think you might. Rabbi Hosea, a Galilean, thought the Messiah would come and herald the end of the world three generations after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. This teaches, his prediction, this teacher said, he said, the end of the world will come sometime around 130 AD. It didn't. A Roman priest and theologian in the second and third centuries, he predicted that Christ would return and the end of the world would happen around AD 500. And he, he made this prediction, and we can smile, but you know, as human beings, we are a strange lot. The way we think, the way we try to work things through. He predicted the end of the world on the dimensions, would you believe it? of Noah's Ark. Very interesting. Mansa, a leader of German peasants, he predicted the end of the world somewhere around 1526. He led a rebellion against the aristocracy and thousands died. In fact, this man, who was a peasant, he predicted the end of the world would happen in 1526. The peasants rose up with him against their masters. Thousands of them died. He died himself. But a few years, a few generations later, another peasant. And so you, you can see that predicting the end of the world can be a dangerous, damaging thing for people. Another peasant made a prediction. There was another rebellion. He made a prediction on the same premise that this man Munson did. And thousands more died in another rebellion against their masters. 
We have William Miller. Many of you who are Seventh-day Adventists know William Miller. Our church grew out of this disappointment. I'm not ashamed to say that. We grew out of this disappointment. William Miller, a Baptist, a farmer, come preacher. He predicted the end of the world in 18, when? 44. That date is ingrained in the mind of almost every Seventh-day Adventist on the planet. Jesus didn't come in 1844. The Jehovah Witnesses, I don't know whether you, understand, whether you know this or not, they predicted the end of the world in 1975. Guess what? Jesus didn't come. Right through the history of mankind, we have been predicting the end of the world. And you know what? It hasn't come. And predicting the end of the world has caused untold damage, untold damage on the lives of millions of people. Why? Because most of us long for the end of the world and we long for the end of the world as Christians because we know what's happening when the end of the world happens. Jesus is coming. And we long for Jesus to come. And so we get caught. We get caught in this sinister trap of predicting when the end of the world will come and when Jesus will return. And I want to look at this morning, just for a few moments, about what the Bible says about the end of the world. First point, very important one. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. The Bible, and this is Jesus speaking, clearly says, talking about the end of the world, no man. Who? No man knows the day or the hour. No one knows when the world will end. And if they come and tell you that they do, if you read something in the newspaper, if you, if you see something on television, if you hear something on the radio saying that about a person who, who claims to know that the end of the world is not, you need to take no notice of that because the Bible clearly says no one, no man, no man knows the hour or the end of the world. However, and I praise God for this this morning, we are given warnings and signs that the end of the world is near. And I'm a preacher and I've been a preacher for almost 20 years. And it is true that for almost 20 years I have been preaching that Jesus and the end of the world are coming together soon. And I stand here before you this morning and I am more convicted than ever that the end of the world is nigh. I don't believe this world can go on as it is. And the Bible gives us signs very clearly right through the New Testament and much of the Old Testament. The Bible gives us signs so that we as Christians, so that you as people living in Australia can make decisions in your own mind, in your own life, on the time you live in. And I want to tell you this morning, I believe we're in the end. Let's have a look at some of those signs quickly. We've already done an entire program on this. Some of these signs that tell us that the end of the world is nigh increase earthquakes. Increase in number, increase in ferocity, in power, increasing floods. Everywhere you look, we are seeing an increasing amount of floods and they're getting larger. We can look at the increase in wars right around the world. More wars being fought today than have ever been fought in the history of the world. And millions and millions of people are dying. Innocent people are dying because of these wars. And the Bible says, you better believe it. When you see these things happen, know that the end of the world is near. And if Jesus doesn't bring about the end of the world soon, we will bring it about ourselves. There's immorality. I don't get the chance to watch television, praise God, much because I'm out most nights. But the immorality on television, the immorality in books and magazines, the immorality in the theatres. I've never, and I've said this before at the front of this church, said to our young people, don't go to movies, don't watch television, don't watch DVDs, don't read books. But for goodness sake, 
If you're going to go to the movie theatre, or you're going to watch television, or you're going to read books, immerse yourself in material that will not drive you away from a deep relationship with Jesus Christ and the immorality that pervades our society and is even coming into the Christian church. Stunning. It's a sign, the Bible says, that we face the end of the world. There's uncertainty. And that uncertainty is brought on by many things. In Australia, we face uncertainty because of this terrible drought. Will we have a crop? Will Australia be able to feed herself in the next 12 to 18 months? Serious questions. And when, when, when a society, when a culture like ours starts to face questions like this, the Bible says, hey, know it, you better believe it, the end of the world is coming. And if you have struggles with what I'm telling you this morning, then you need to go home. And you need to open your Bible and you need to read again Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Get into Revelation and read Revelation 12, 13 and 14. These great end of the world chapters of the Bible. And you will be convicted and you have no choice but to conclude that the end of the world is upon us. There's global warming. There's crime. Terrible crimes being perpetrated against children and the innocent. And the Bible says when you see these things, know, know that it is the end of the world. We have natural disasters, tsunamis. Bible says it's the end of the world. Viruses sweeping around the world. Bible says again, end of the world scenario. And this one, religious fundamentalism. In Christianity and in Islam... And in just about every other major religion of the world, we are seeing it. It is fierce. It is causing untold trouble and misery. And the Bible says, hey, you better stick with this series if you don't know how this one works in. The Bible says when you see this, know that it is the end of the world. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 21 verse 18 says, when you see these things, all these things that we've just looked at, When you see these things begin to take place, stand up. Oh, this is exciting. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus says when you see these things, let this burn into your heart and your mind this morning. Jesus says when you see these things, know that it is the end of the world. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Now this ought to challenge you because I want to tell you what the Bible has to say about how the world will end is not what most people, and it saddens me to say, it's not what most Christians believe will happen at the end of the world. Let's look at the Bible. I don't want to even comment too much on this. I want to let the Bible speak for itself this morning about how the world will end. And I encourage you, I encourage, I challenge you, go home, get your Bible out, check the context of these texts, and check it for yourself. This is the truth of what the Bible has to say will happen at the end of the world. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 and 31. If you've got your Bibles, don't rely on the screen. I'd like you to open your Bibles and I'd like you to check the context as we look at these texts now. Matthew 24, verse 30, 31. This is what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking. I'm just reading his words. At that time... The Son of Man, that's Jesus. We're talking the end of the world now. This is the context. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. 
They will, now this is all the nations of the earth, the Bible says. This is what Jesus said. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Verse 31. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect, those who he loves, the saved. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. Now that's not my words. I am not interpreting that. I am reading to you this morning what the scripture says will happen at the end of the world. Now if you're going to believe in the Bible and if you're going to believe in Jesus as your saviour, If you're going to believe that the Bible, which I happen to believe, is inspired of God, then you have no choice. And that's what I say. This subject drives you to a decision. You cannot leave this church and not make a decision on what Jesus is saying here. He says, when I come, it will be visible. He said, when I come, it will be loud. He says, all the nations of the earth will mourn. He says, angels will be from one end of the sky to the other. And he said, I will. He says, now here's the reaping. Here's the harvest. He says, I will. I will send my angels. Here's the harvest to gather the elect, the saved, those who love me. Now, they're the words of Jesus Christ. Let's see what John the Revelator says. Now go home, check the context out, make sure I'm not leading you astray, twisting, turning this. John says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he says, Look, he, Jesus, is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him. Do you know that most of the Protestant reformers believed what the Bible has to say about Jesus' second coming. But I just want to say something here for a moment. And I, I'm speaking to you in the church, but I'm also speaking to those who will be watching this on television. Because this is a very challenging moment in this presentation. In the mid-1800s, well, beginning of the 1800s actually, a Jesuit priest by the name of Lacunza, I don't know too much about him, except he wrote a book called The Coming of the Messiah in Glory and Majesty. Now this book has shaken the world. It has shaken Christianity and unfortunately it has shaken Protestantism, what most of us belong to. In this book he claimed that he had seen there would be a secret rapture. Jesus' second coming, his return would be in two parts. Firstly, he said there would be a secret rapture of the saints. Now there are different variations in this in Protestantism today. He said there will be a secret rapture of the saints. They will be taken to heaven. And so, you know, too bad if you happen to be in a Qantas 747. You want to pray if this is true that you're not in Craig's Qantas 747 jumbo jet. He's a pilot in this church. Because if you are, you're in in deep trouble. Because he'll be raptured out, and I say this seriously, of that cockpit and you'll be left without a pilot. And so there'll be planes crashing, there'll be trains crashing, there'll be people disappearing from beds. This is what Lekunza taught. He said not only would, would the saints go to heaven, but he said there'll be seven years. Now I said there's different variations of this in Protestantism. But he said there'll be seven years, seven years of tribulation, and then Jesus will come back and begin his millennial reign on earth. Well, a man by the name of Irving, a Scottish preacher, 
from the Church of Scotland, one of the great churches of Protestantism, got a hold of this. And he read it and he was convicted and he began to preach it and he began to teach it. In fact, Irving is the, he is really one of the fathers of modern day Pentecostalism. And there was another woman who came into to, to Irving's influence called Margaret MacDonald. And she had a vision. Now, now this is historical fact. If you doubt what I'm saying, you need to go to your library and you just need to have a look at secret rapture, dispensationalism, all these different names used to describe what I'm talking about this morning. And it will, the library will give you, a, uh, you can go to a number of books that will give you the historic facts on what I'm glancing over today. She has a vision. She confirmed what Irving was preaching. And she said, the Lord has told me, Irving, that you are to preach this to the world. Well, not so long after Irving had his own vision, and he was convicted that that's also what he must do. And the story's a long one, but this message got a hold of a man by the name of John Darby. Went then to another fellow called Cyrus Schofield. Have you ever heard of the Schofield Bible, which preaches and teaches this secret rapture concept that people will be raptured up to heaven? that it will be secret and they'll be there for seven years and come back. At the end of seven years, Christ will establish his rule on earth. This is, is what was taught. It went into the Schofield Bible and it went through Protestantism and it's a tragedy. It went through Protestantism like a hot knife through butter. And today, most Protestants who believe this doctrine of the secret rapture they don't even realise that it has its beginnings with a Jesuit priest in the early 1800s and was developed in the middle and to the late 1800s. The secret rapture is not the belief of the early Christian fathers. It's not the belief of the Christian church through the Middle Ages. It's a late arrival on the scene and it's wrong. And it's wrong because it's not in the Bible. And I'll sit down with anybody. And I'll talk to anybody about this because it's just not there. Yeah, you can get a few obscure texts and put them together and put together a half-baked argument, but it's not there. And I know for some, of, for some, especially with the television who are watching this, this is a challenge. And I'm telling you, don't listen to me if you don't want to. Don't take note of what I'm saying. Go to the library. Check for yourself. Open the Bible. Have a look at what the Bible says will happen at the end of the world. I, I'm telling you, it's happening. The end of the world will happen, as I'm describing to you this morning. Let's, let, let's, let's keep this moving. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14, describes what will happen to the unsaved. This is sad. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is the end of the world. This is the second coming. This is highly visible. This is noisy. The world is heaving. There is, this is one of the most, this is the most momentous physical event the world has ever seen. Jesus is coming. Mountains are sinking into the sea. Islands are moving. The world is turning upside down. It is shaking at the power of the return of Jesus Christ the King. He is not coming as the Saviour of the world to be crucified this time. He's coming as the Saviour of the world, as the King of Kings and leading the most powerful army in the universe, an army of angels. Bible goes on to say, verse 15, Then the kings of the earth, 
The princes, the generals, these are men and women who like to live, who have a desire to live. The rich and the mighty and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. This is a frightening time if you don't know Jesus Christ. And for some of you, this may be the only time you are ever confronted with this message. And Jesus calls you to make a stand on this message this morning. Jesus calls you to be ready. Jesus loves you. And his love is intense. And we've been saying in this series, his love is big and it's powerful. It's an awesome love. And he does not, he is not willing, the Bible says, that one should perish. He loves you. And he wants you to be saved. That's why he brought you to this church, to this television program this morning. Because he wants to save you. You want to be ready for Jesus to come? We're now starting to move into this series about how you can walk with Jesus so that when he returns... And you look up into the sky at this super being who's shaking the planet. When he returns, you look up into the sky, you see your friend. The first way is to surrender every day, every morning, every night. And for those of you who've been coming to this series, I've shared this little prayer with you. And it's a prayer of surrender. Dear Jesus, I am your man or woman. I choose you to be my God. Come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me in your blood. Help me to be an overcomer. And I pray I choose you to be the captain of my life, Jesus Christ. I choose you to be the captain of my family today, Jesus Christ. You are making a statement of whose side you are on in this great conflict. You are surrendering your life. You are in that simple prayer and you can say it in your way, in your words. But a prayer like that, you are saying, Jesus, I am your man, I am your woman. And he looks down and he recognises that prayer of commitment. And he says, right, I've got you in my eye. Well, he had you in his eye anyway. You are mine. I am going to bring you into a deep... This is what he says. This is his side of it. I'm going to bring you into a deeper walk with me. I'm going to walk through you, with you through the difficulties of the end of time. This is what Jesus promises. And he says, when I return, I'm coming back for you. I have heard your prayer, Lloyd Grolleman. You are a sinner. You fall into darkness. But I have heard your prayer. I'm going to save you. Jesus recognises that prayer of surrender. Secondly, fall in love with Jesus. Not enough Christians, let alone non-Christians, are in love with Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back and the whole world is shaking in fear and you look up into the sky, you see Jesus, your friend. Your friend who you love, he loves you, you fell in love with him, there's no fear. You fell in love with Jesus. And how do you fall in love with Jesus? Listen, you spend time with him in prayer. And you spend time with him in Bible study. You will find Jesus in the Bible. It is his book. Through his men, he wrote it. It is his message of love to you. And as you spend time in the Bible, you're going to get this tiny little thing start to spring in your heart called faith. That's a belief that Jesus exists. And so there you've got it. That Jesus came to save you. There you've got it. In your Bible study. And last but not least, and I'm closing. Be born again. As you spend time in prayer, as you spend time in Bible study, you'll be born again. And so allowing Jesus in your prayer and Bible study, and it won't happen outside of that, to come inside of you and change you from the inside out. Jesus is coming again. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. Jesus will come whether you're ready or not. 
And this morning, as we close this service, he calls you to make a decision to follow him.